Hey, this is WWE Hall of Famer from the Legion of Doom, Road War Animal. And this week, the first podcast of 2018 is the Q&A from the listeners. We are making this show one of the most important shows because it has to do with you, the listener, asking questions and getting the answers from me and my partner, Joe Roderick. So strap it on, get ready for another wild ride. Tell them, Hawk! He's one half of the Road Warriors and the Legion of Doom, the most successful tag team in the world of professional wrestling. He's held the AWA, NWA, WCW, and WWF titles. He snacked on danger and dined on death. He's Road Warrior Animal, Joe Laurinaitis. And this is the What a Rush podcast. Now, here's your host, Joe Roderick. And we're back for another week of the What A Rush podcast. I am your host, Joe Roderick, along with the WWE Hall of Famer, Joe Laurinaitis, Road Warrior Animal. What's going on, man? Joe Roderick, excited. It's 2018. Can you believe it? We made it to 2018. I was uh, I was asleep before eleven o'clock. Didn't even make it to uh, <laughs> yeah, Times Square New Year. I'm not, you know, I made it to the big ball dropping, but I don't, you know, I'm not a big drinker at New Year's Eve anymore. You know, I, I try to be responsible and stay off the roads, so some idiot doesn't run into me or something while they're drunk. You know, I, I that's the thing. I just, I, you know, I got I got a little four year old that didn't uh, that I don't think made it past ten uh, this uh, on New Year's Eve and. I I really don't think I drank the entire month of November or December and still well, yeah. Funny how your uh, responsibilities right. and your things change once the little humans come into play. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I you know, I haven't uh, haven't drank much lately and I just didn't really feel like doing that on uh, on New Year's Eve. So But you know, I tell you what though, I'm excited because two thousand eighteen is gonna be not only great for us, but more so great for the fans. You know, I think this is going to be a great year in the, the business of entertainment and sports of professional wrestling. And I'm really excited to get rock and rolling here in the new year. Yeah, today's episode is all about you, the fans. We asked for questions from the audience and got quite a few. So we are going to do a little Q&A with, uh, with Animal here. I have a uh, stack of questions and we will get to those later on in the episode uh, but we do have a lot of other stuff to get to before that i teased on uh, on twitter as uh, as you did as well joe and uh, one of the things that uh, we did want to announce is that we do have plans coming up in the month of january quite a few plans in the month of january so we're just going to we're going to slowly trickle out the uh, the news as the month goes on but joe one of the uh, one of the big things and not only is this exciting for me, but I would imagine you as well, is that you're headed back home later this month as I will be uh, headed to uh, cover my seventh Super Bowl up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And Joe, I'm bringing you with. I'm bringing the muscle with me this year as we're heading back to uh, Minneapolis, home of Super Bowl 52, and you're going to be hanging out there with me. Headed back to the Twin Cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul. You know, uh, 
Had a great time there. You know, we had that gym in Plymouth, Minnesota for 25 years called the gym with my partner, Jim Youngner and Hawk. You know, a lot of great memories in Minnesota, you know, where my kids grew up. Mm-hmm. Once I got there, I said, I am not moving my kids around, man. Minnesota's got great, great education for kids and everything else. It's a great family-oriented community in Minnesota. I love that. You know, back, we did the Super Bowl party one time years ago when uh, Hawk and I first started Zubats. It was there once, right? Yep, and we had every NFL player came through Zubas, and we had this big 150,000-square-foot facility, and they cleaned us out of every pair of Zubas that we had. That uh, 1992 was the last year that it was, uh, that it was held in Minneapolis. That was the Redskins over the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, you back know, in it, Super it, Bowl. It, what would that have been? Uh, I'm looking at Roman numerals here. 26. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what Roman numerals. <laughs> but the, the great memory about it for us was is that, you know, we had uh, through this guy, Jeff Hamilton. Now, Jeff Hamilton was the guy that invented guest jeans. And um, we already had a contract with Jeff Hamilton. He was making these jackets for all the NFL teams, you know, the like the sport jackets with the leather sleeves and everything else. And and uh, we were making them out of Zubas colors on the sleeves. And so Jeff Hamilton had lined it up for us and made us our own custom-made Legion of Doom animal, Legion of Doom hawk jackets that we used to just wear all the time so with a big puffed-out figure of us mm-hmm. on the back, like going to attack somebody, right? And so we had those on, and we did a big segment in Minneapolis. I think it was down at the International Market Square with uh, Dan Marino and the ESPN team. It was the, That was back when MTV was associated with ESPN back then, doing little things, and it was kind of a co-deal. And that was cool to me because that was the first time that Hawk and I ever linked together with another guy you know, from a NFL sport, and we were doing announcing together, man. So it was pretty cool. And from then on, we you know we did, we used Dan, and we hired Dan on to be one of our sponsors that we used to uh, wear our Zuba stuff on the sidelines, along with Jim Kelly. You know, you mentioned your likeness. I had this in the notes for uh, for this episode. I saw this on uh, coming across Twitter. By the way, you could follow me at Twitter at Joe Roderick. You could follow Animal at Twitter at RW Animal, and you can follow the show. Uh, the podcast on Twitter as well. What a rush pod is where you find us on Twitter. So I, I came across uh, the same guy that posted the picture of you wrestling as a uh, as enhancement talent or posted the video of you wrestling as enhancement talent. I saw him. He tweeted out a picture of a video game called Pro Res- Royal Pro Wrestling GQ or GQ J I K K Y O U Live. Hmm. From 1996. Now, I'm guessing you were getting zero dollars from this. Well, I, because I've never, I've never seen the game. <laughs> because, well, that's because Road Warrior Animal and Road Warrior Hawk are not on this. Mm. Mike Warrior and Johnny Warrior are on this. Mike Warrior and Johnny Mike Warrior? Mike Warrior and Johnny Who's Warrior. Mike Warrior and Johnny Warrior? Well, it's a, I mean, one of them has a uh, Johnny Warrior has a uh, mohawk and Mike Warrior has a uh, reverse mohawk mm. or a double mohawk as you uh, as you refer to it. Well, you know, many imitators know duplicators, <laughs> Joe. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> I got to show you. I'm going to show it's you like the video It's like the Sonny here. Water and, and 
and Nestle water. You know yeah. what I mean? Come on. I'm going to show you here. Here is what it is. I'll show you. It's, it's scrolling through all of the. I retweeted it on my account. It's scrolling through all of the different ones. The knockoff Undertaker, the knockoff Yokozuna. I think there's a knockoff Sting on there as well. But you could see as you're watching it scroll through the knockoff Johnny <laughs> Warrior that they comes gave, through they here. Gave, uh, the Mike Warrior. Is that Hawk, I guess? Let yeah. Me see. Let me see here. That would be yeah. Mike Warrior. Mike Warrior. They gave him a blonde mohawk. Double yeah. mohawk. Well, this is kind of creative. Yeah, this that's game, from 1996. This, 1996. Yeah, so 20, awesome. over 20 years old is uh, <laughs> is when that came out. Well, I want to go back and going to contact my lawyer, Corey, here and see if we can't uh, get any royalties yeah. from the back. Yeah, yeah good luck with that. Um, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, right? Yeah, Vader on here, by the way, is... It looks uh, all jacked up. Is he Vader in that uh, picture there? Big Bang Bull Power is his uh Well, you know, he was name. called... Uh, Big baby bull something when he first started. Over in, uh, he started over in Japan? Yeah. Yeah. Baby bull or something like that, yeah. Yeah. So I, I wanted to show you, I knew I had to show you that at uh, at some point. Oh, bro, you know, I mean, listen, if I got paid a dime for every kind of imitation or a knockoff, we wouldn't be doing this radio right now, you know, come on. Okay, well, hey, you know what? You talk about the imitators. Uh, you, you saw the uh, you saw the the semifinals for the national championship in college football. You saw Georgia beat uh, beat Oklahoma in double overtime. What uh, you know? You, you we talk about the knockoffs or the imitators or whatnot. What are your thoughts on the uh, on the shoulder pads How that Georgia's about wearing? About them dogs. You know, you know, living in in Atlanta for a while when I first started. You know, in, in Georgia Championship Wrestling, man, Georgia, the state of Georgia loves their football. Right, loves their football, loves their football, man. High school football in Georgia is huge, just like it is in the state of Texas. But Georgia football. The fans are in it 150%. You know, seeing that, you know, after all these years, it's a great test. You know, I remember when my son James was Ohio State, and, uh, you know, he was doing all that. There was people in the stands that would wear red shoulder pads with black spikes, right? And then you look at the Raider games, and you're thinking, geez, all of a sudden you have people wearing black shoulder pads with silver spikes at all the Raider football games, you know? And I saw a Miami Hurricane game this year that I posted on Facebook. There was a girl painted in green and orange, and she had shoulder pads on that were orange with green spikes. Yep. It's just crazy how the spikes have lasted through the test of time, and, it, you know, and I'm proud to say Hawk and I were the first ones that started that. And when you see somebody like the Georgia Bulldogs wearing that, it's just awesome because I do have a pair of gold shoulder pads. They're the uh, brass, uh, what do you, they put the plating on there, and, the guy sent me from Rydell Power Protective Equipment, and, I had a, and they plated them for me, and I sat there in my garage with my Makita drill and <laughs> drilling them out and, and screwed the spikes on. And it's just awesome to see that, man. You know, I, I would love to be able to surprise the Georgia Bulldogs sometime and to be associated with those guys because it, it is a testament that, hey, when you're the MVP, you get the gold shoulder pads. And, of course, the guy that got the shoulder pads, what was the guy's name that got the pads? I, I no clue. Well, he had the big, he blocked the field goal. Okay. That saved the game for the Bulldogs. So, man, hats off. Congratulations to the Bulldogs. Wish them all the best of luck in the national championship game. But it was pretty cool to see, man. But this many years later, here to go. These kids were probably young kids, you know, watching us when they were, you know, mm-hmm. years ago. And now he's wearing a pair of spiked shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. 
What a thrill for those guys. You need to get in on that because I saw Flair already tweeting out uh, trying to uh, – Flair was tweeting out trying to get a little bit of that uh, Georgia love yesterday. You need to uh, you need to do that as well. well you need you to, know, uh, you know. I'll have to get the guy that handles my Twitter to handle that for me because I don't okay. know what's going on with that. Yeah. No, but Flair, Flair – you know, listen, Flair – Yeah, it's not something you can just voice text into your I, Twitter. I know, like, I yeah, know. My yeah. voice text come out all gravel. I'm like, aware. Yes, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm well aware. <laughs> I guess they don't understand inner city slang when I'm talking on voice text. But, but yeah, Flair, Flair's got, uh, he's always been good friends with the Georgia Bulldogs anyway. So uh, that doesn't surprise me with Flair. And he lives in Atlanta, so. I was going to say, he's, you know, all those South teams. I feel like he had the, you know, he's been in good with the uh, the Carolina Panthers. He well, Flair, Flair's got that football pro in college football on lock. Yeah, either that or he's been out I mean, are you allowed, are you allowed, he's been out drinking with every college football coach and he knows everybody. I don't know if he's I mean. He's got a little dirt on everybody is probably the story. Thing is, though, you know, his, his none of his sons were players of the year at their positions in college football at, at the Ohio State University. So, I mean, can you go off and do... Do something with Georgia or do something with Alabama with your ties to Ohio State? Or, Listen, would, I mean, would, would James disown you? I'm road warrior animal. I could do whatever I want. <laughs> you forget our motto is I don't care, he don't care, and Eller Engel, he cares a little. That's just was their motto for the years. I feel like college, you know, when it comes to, like, who your favorite college team is, they're a little crazier than, like, who your favorite wrestler oh, is. Oh, yeah, it's, listen, yeah. let me tell you I something. I mean, you get you college remember, football and NASCAR is, like, its own. I remember going to Buckeye football games, right, and when they would play Michigan at the end of the year, their last game, and whether they both had winning records or losing records, the game against Michigan – it's all that mattered the whole season. I would see I would see pickup trucks going through the city of Columbus on High Street there, right in Columbus, going past Eddie George's restaurant with a Michigan player hanging by a noose in the back of the truck or, or tied to the bumper like roadkill. They get dead serious about college football. Let me tell you, man. No, everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. That's uh, you know, you hey, guys that go to guys that go to jail for poisoning trees. Hey, go try to talk football. to a person in Virginia about Virginia or Virginia Tech. Right. You want to you want to be a mountaineer? You want to be a hokey? Come on. So uh, yeah, that's um, we'll we'll get you we'll get you involved with those bulldogs. We'll figure out a way to uh, to do that. But we want to let people know what they can expect from us for the next uh, three weeks of this show. As we pretty much have January all lined up, and we'll knock out episodes that we know that you are going to uh, enjoy. Coming up next week, I, I when when we started this process and I started going through your career, trying to figure out highlights. Maybe some lowlights of your uh, of your career. Oh, there's one or two lowlights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say 2001 working with WCW isn't isn't on the top of your list. I don't recall you mentioning that in your Hall of Fame speech. No, well, yeah, <laughs> WCW was definitely not mentioned in my Hall of Fame speech at all. So back in t- in January of 2001, you were uh, you you were featured, or I guess after after the fact, you were listed as one of the uh, uh, competitors in the main event of one of their three pay-per-views in 2001. Remember, they only ran three before the, uh, before the McMahons bought them, uh, before Vince bought WCW, and they were no longer, uh, they ceased to exist after that. But the first one in January was WCW Sin. You were the fourth guy in that uh, fatal four-way, in that four-way dance main event with Scott Steiner, Sid, and Jeff Jarrett, 
and you were the fourth guy that came in kind of when the match had ended, but we're going to talk about everything that went on in that match. I think most people are going to remember it. They probably didn't buy the pay-per-view or watch the pay-per-view, but they remember seeing the video of Sid, uh, Sid Vicious snapping his leg in an L shape you know, and I, everything, I, that, uh, everything think, that went behind that. I think in that particular match, I, I don't think I was listed as Road Warrior Animal. You, yeah, you are. I, and they, they well, you, you're a mystery opponent. I was a mystery opponent, they, but I wasn't listed at it because that was the whole surprise right. of the match. Because back then, they never wanted to give away. You right. understand, back then at the time, they were trying to outwit Dave Meltzer, the Wrestling Observer, right? Because they were always calling the shots for wrestling. So they didn't want to announce it. What, what they wanted the people to think was it was Rick Steiner. Let's save some stuff for next week, Joe. Well, Let's save some stuff for next week. All right, maybe I'll save one. I'll tell you what else was on this card, though, that we'll uh, talk about. Chavo uh, Guerrero Jr. versus Shane Helms. Um, and I'm also interested. I know that you didn't get to watch much of this pay-per-view, but I'm interested if you know any of the names on this pay-per-view. Reno and Big Vito. Um, Big Vito's a great the, friend of mine, the, believe it or not. The, young, uh, the young Dragons uh, against Evan Courageous and Jamie Noble. Ernest the Cat Miller against Mike Sanders. Team Canada against the Filthy Animals, that being Elix Skipper, Lance Storm, and Mike Awesome against Billy Kidman, Conan, and Rey Mysterio. Ming uh, versus Crowbar. Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare versus DDP and Kevin Nash. Shane Douglas versus General Rection. <laughs> what kind of name is that? <laughs> that uh, General Rection. You know who that was? Mm. Bill DeMott. Oh, my God. That's funny. Lex that's Luger, funny. Buff Bagwell, Goldberg, Dwayne Bruce. And then, of course, Scott Steiner, Jeff Jarrett, Sid Vicious, and Road Warrior. Yeah, I, I know most of the guys, the, uh, I know event, of the guys so. on the card. You know, in, yeah. in this business, a lot of times, bro, you know a lot of people walking in the locker room shaking hands. You know, sometimes you may not remember everybody's first name. A lot of people didn't even know my first name was Joe in the wrestling business for many years. It was always Animal. You know, didn't even know our names. Well, that's so. the thing. You probably had no clue who General Rection was, but you mentioned Bill DeMott or and Hugh I Morris, know Bill, and you know yes. exactly who that person exactly is. Who so. that and, and, and then his faces, too, man. A lot, most of those names you mentioned, I knew. Mm-hmm. So we'll have that next week. The following week, it's right before the 25th anniversary of Raw. Now, people know that you and Hawk uh, really wrestled all over the country, wrestled for the WWF uh, you know, uh, quite a few times. You guys were signed with them. But one of those times was pre-Raw. And the other time, the last time you had a run in WWF or WWE, I should say, you were on SmackDown. So we will talk just about the times that you and Hawk or just you were on Monday Night Raw and some of the stories and storylines that went uh, People that went always on love that. to hear my opinion of that time frame in, in WWE or mm-hmm. WWF. So. That'll be pretty cool. And then after that, uh, we'll be upon the Royal Rumble. So I know that you uh, appeared, I want to say in four, not Royal Rumble matches, but you were on the card for four total Royal Rumbles uh, pay-per-views. So we will go through and we will talk about the times that Animal, that Road Warrior Animal was on the card for the Royal Rumble. So that is what uh, that is what we have coming up the rest of January and uh, should lead to uh, some pretty good stories from, uh, from oh, all yeah, those times. Man. Do you realize they asked me to be in a Royal Rumble? I think it was 2010. 
2010 or 11, it was right, right before or right after the Hall of Fame. And, <laughs> and I told my brother no. Well, I, we'll uh, we'll hear what that pitch was coming up in a uh, in a few weeks for uh, for that. So, and then I know I know a lot of people want to get back to some of the Crockett days and get back to some of the stuff in the '80s. I know this is a lot of stuff in the '90s and early 2000s. Sure. So, I uh, I can guarantee you the plans that we have in Minnesota and beyond uh, will take us back into the uh, the '80s and the uh, the creation the of the Road man. Warriors. They yeah. Love this nostalgia they love the history they want to hear stories so that's one thing we're not short of is giving them stories yeah so we will jump around quite a bit uh and give people all of the different eras that they want to hear from and uh, we also have plans to even get into some of uh today's stuff as well what's going on with the uh with the current product in the WWE, so uh, a lot to uh, a lot to get to over the next several uh, weeks and months here on the podcast. But like we said, it's uh, it's all about you this week. It's all about the listeners this week with the uh, with the shows. As we have a nice uh, Q and A for you, we went to Twitter and to Facebook and also gave out the email address. So we have questions from all of those uh, all of those different. Uh, ways of getting in touch with the show again uh at, at twitter it's at what a rush pod on facebook we are at the uh we are the what a rush podcast with road warrior animal joe laurinitis and you can always email in to the show whenever you want it's road warrior podcast at gmail.com that's road warrior podcast at gmail.com so we compile the list of these and here we go Joe, for a uh, quick little Q and A with the uh, with the listeners, the Goon Show um, wants to know if you had ever crossed paths with Roddy Piper, and then wanted to know if you actually had any matches with Hot Rod. Now, I I know the story, but uh, Roddy Piper was one of the uh, first guys that you ran into when you were breaking into the business, right? When I first started. As the single road warrior down in uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, Ole Anderson sent me to Jim Crockett Promotions in North Carolina because there was a big buyout going on with Jim Hurd and Georgia Championship Wrestling. So he says, I don't want you around this nonsense. Go to North Carolina. So I went to North Carolina, and it was both the greatest experience and one of the worst experiences of my life. The great experiences, I got to watch guys like Steamboat and Flair and Valentine and, and Jack and Jerry Briscoe and stuff like that and learn the wrestling business that way. And one of the other best experiences I had is here I am, right? I was just a dumb, inexperienced kid. Now, I was probably supposed to go out in the Battle Royal like number two or three. Well, here I am out of 15 guys. I'm in there like number 12. <laughs> and people are saying to me, what in the hell are you still doing in the Battle Royal? You're supposed to be out of here. And my claim to fame was Roddy Piper grabbed me by the back of the head and threw me over the top rope. That was my claim to fame, the Rowdy Roddy Piper. He actually touched me in the ring, you know, because <laughs> I wasn't getting close to hardly any superstars. You can understand, man. When you're a young kid in the business back then, you're you're big. You basically can't even get enough courage to say hi to these guys because these are main eventer, world champion guys. You know, big time main eventers anywhere they go. But Roddy Piper and I, one so I'm sitting at the bar and I'll never forget Richmond, Virginia. And I don't have a pot to piss in. I was making a hundred and fifty dollars 
wrestling nine times in a week. So that was average of, you know, 12 bucks a match, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm making no money. And I'm sitting there in a the bar, and Piper comes up to me and goes, hey, kid, can I sit here? He goes, yeah, sure, Mr. I'm calling him Mr. Piper. Sure, Mr. Piper, sit down. What are you drinking, kid? And I said, well, before I get the answer out, he says, give me two Jack Daniels straight up. I says, okay, I guess I'm having Jack Daniels, right? So he sat there, and he goes, what do you think about wrestling, man? What do you, where do you see yourself in the future with wrestling? And I said, you know, Mr. Piper, I don't know how you do it. I watch you, and I'm just amazed. He goes, you're like, I said, you're like a, not a magician. You're like a puppeteer. How you can control, control the people to go, yay, boo, ah, ooh, and all this. I said, it's amazing. I hope to someday that I could reach that level and be able to entertain the people the way you do. And he goes to me, he goes, kid, you know, on Roddy's own mentality, he goes, I wish you the best of luck, he goes, but I don't know if you got it in this business. So I said, okay, so talk about the flight in my bubble. Here I go, I'm putting over Roddy Piper, and now he's telling me, oh, I don't know if you got it, which I think internally pissed me off to a drive where I wanted to make sure I was going to succeed after that, you know. And look now, and then afterwards, you know, Roddy Piper and I became great friends, you know, and, and we reached a level either equal to higher than Piper was. So in that aspect, we had a mutual respect for each other. Was that ever revisited down the road in the, in the 90s when you guys were at the top? Did Piper ever, did he remember that as well as you remember that? Oh, I made sure he remembered. <laughs> I talked to Roddy about it about a thousand times. I said, hey, remember you told me I wasn't going to make it in the wrestling business? He goes, ah, yeah, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said, you got to apologize. I mean, nobody, hey, nobody knew back then. Are you kidding me? When they announced me in the ring back then, I remember wrestling Rick Rude. He said, this is Joe Lauren from Ireland. I mean, <laughs> I was the furthest thing from a road warrior back then, you know. But I tell you what, though, um, I was with Roddy Piper about, I was with him and his son Colt about probably about two weeks before he passed away. Um, we were doing a taping for a wrestling company that was going to start up called Revolution. Uh, based out of Las Vegas, but we were doing filming in L.A. We were doing a pilot in L.A. for a guy named uh, Dave Dave Marquez. I think Dave Marquez had a company out there where we were using his ring and stuff. But, yeah, man, it's it was a shame, man. The wrestling business really lost one of the great ones, uh, a pioneer for wrestling. You know, he was all about the guys. Not only entertaining the fans was his number one goal, but, but it was about the wrestlers, too. He was part of that wave of guys along with Jesse the Body Ventura, that was really talking union for the wrestlers, which I'm a firm advocate that the guy should have a union. The guy should have health and medical and dental, all things that anybody else in any professional sports gets or entertainment gets. You know, just like SAG dues. SAG dues, you can buy Medicaid, you be a get you know medical covers through SAG. You know, so I mean, he was that kind of forefront, which blacklisted blacklisted him with a lot of promoters. Because they knew Roddy wanted to do that. I mean, for a while there, he couldn't go to the NWA or he couldn't go to WWF at the time because nobody wanted to touch him. And then, like anything else in this business, man, you never really burn a bridge. It always comes back around, and the promoter ends up forgiving you, and you end up forgiving him, and you come back to work. So, 
So let's say uh, that story of you meeting Piper was in North Carolina. So let's stay in a uh, in North Carolina because I know the uh, backstory behind this one. Jason emails in saying that he listened to your interview with Sean Mooney, primetime wrestling, a few weeks ago. You can go find that online. And he said that you never did get around to telling the injury, uh, the story about your eye injury, which uh, from uh, from all those years ago, I I. I wish I could avoid ever having to hear this story, knowing the story, but uh, go ahead and let the people know which eye injury story he is. Uh, Jason is asking about. Well, Hawk and I were wrestling uh, in, uh, I think we're in uh, Hammond, Hammond, Indiana, and we were wrestling uh, Warlord and Ivan Koloff. First place I ever watched a live wrestling event was at the Hammond Civic Center in yeah. uh, Hammond, Indiana. We actually, Hawk and I fought the whole crowd there one time. I'll get into that. I was time. not in the crowd for that. No, no. Uh, this was I, I saw a WCW show. Would have been probably around ninety six or ninety seven. Yeah, is were, when I was there. Yes. Yeah, no, we, we we did it. Er- <laughs> we did it earlier than that. We were actually wrestling uh, Von Raschke and Kurt Henning. But uh, yeah, no. Back to the to the uh, Warlord and Ivan Koloff. Warlord put me in this move called the Samoan Slam, where it's basically where you have a guy around you, around your back, and where he's holding your legs, and he's holding. Sheamus does the move now. I Sheamus, think Sheamus does. does yeah. Sheamus, Sheamus does the move. Mm-hmm. Okay, but uh, but some guys do it. They put the guy on the shoulders and throw back. But this, you you hook with the, you know, the back of my arms and his like bicep mm-hmm. area, and, and the legs are here. Well, when Warlord went to kick, his left arm slipped, and he pulled hard with his right arm. And the middle of my head was in the middle of Warlord's back. You got to understand, Warlord was 365 pounds at the time. And my head hit the mat and squished it. And it literally squished it like if you were to throw an egg against the wall. Something's got to squirt out and explode, right? Well, my left eye literally popped out. And when I went to grab it, I could feel it going, you know, and if I could make a sound effect like a cartoon. I'd wish you wouldn't, but go ahead. It went like back in my head. Mm. And when it did that, I stood up and I'm going. You can imagine I'm swinging my arms like I'm swatting gnats, right? I can't see anything. I'm totally black out of my left eye. I'm seeing four out of my right eye. And I'm going, what in the heck? So I roll out of the ring and I looked at my partner, Hawk. I said, Hawk, God, my eyes kill me. I said, I said, is my eye hanging out my head? He goes, yeah, your head's off your shoulders, too. And he throws you back in the ring. He thinks I'm kidding him, right? Like I'm ribbing him. I said, no, man. And I told, and I said, Terry, warlord, I said, tag Ivan. Ivan came in. I said, Ivan, I'm hurt. Get me out of here. So we went and finished the match real quick. And I went back in the locker room. Now I'm getting my vision back in my left eye a little bit, but it's totally blurry. And I'm seeing like, four shapes but I can't make out what it is and I'm blurred out of my right eye seeing four out of my right eye so I'm seeing eight and you know you know Hawk smarts off again he goes well you should hit the guy in the middle out of the eight guys I was seeing in my eyes you know like it's a joke so I I said man something stuck in my nose so I went to blow my nose right and when I went to blow my nose my left cheek underneath my eye swelled up about an inch which means I blew out my sinus cavity and my trap door and my sinus, because when I pushed on my cheek, it was going, and I was filtering out of the corner of my eye, <laughs> and my eyes starting to, now it's tearing, now it's tearing with little blood in it, and everything, it was a mess, so I went to the Hammond Hospital, they didn't have a good 
like a powerful enough x-ray machine to do anything. So I went to Chicago General, right? Go to Chicago General, and I get an x-ray. They told me it was like someone hit me. If I put my head in front of a car going 30 miles an hour, was equivalent to what I had hit me in the eye. And uh, totally prison my eye. Now, get this. If you can imagine even standing up after getting hit like that, they said I had a cracked skull. I had a fracture in my skull. I had a fracture in my cheek. I had a broken nose, and I blew out my orbital rim in one move. So I had three fractures and blew out my orbital rim. Most times when people go through the windshield of a car, all they do is they bust out the orbital rim. I did everything. <clears throat> and, yeah, so immediately what the people really don't understand, <laughs> Joe, I'll tell you after this, is that the next day I went to Greensboro, North Carolina, and had the bench press contest against the powers of pain. And if you can imagine laying down on a bench, and I think we did like 550, 545 or something. Oh, that's all. With all that pressure on your skull, it hurt so bad, but it worked out good because we did the angle with the Warlord and Barbarian where the you know, Barbarian gave me the high boot and then ran my head into the plates, knocked over 630 pounds on the bench, and, you know, the rest is history. After that, I had to go get surgery. I was out for about three months, but I was supposed to be out six months minimum. Came back early. I, I I know that that story is going to be told again at some oh, point. Oh, you know what, man? I know I, it is. Let me tell you, I, man. I just hope that I, 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 can't, I can't take hearing that story again. I really... To this day, to this day, the left side of my mouth where my teeth are and my left lip is numb. And underneath my eye is numb. My cheek is numb. I literally had a... You know, I was, I, was like this. <laughs> I was talking like that for a bit, you know. I really had to reteach myself how to smile the same so both sides of my face were working together because I, I still really can't feel the left side of my face very much. Oh, God. From Don, does Ahmed Johnson still have the spiked shoulder pads from WrestleMania 13? Yes. I, I, like, I don't know if Ahmed sold them, but let me, let me set this straight. Joe, you and I have talked about this. Some goofballs sat around the story of animals mad because Ahmed Johnson stole his shoulder pads. I want to make it clear. So, so, And Ahmed knows this. He and I have had conversations. I gave Ahmed those pads. I had an extra set of pads. Ahmed Johnson and Hawk and I were doing six mans around the country. I said, Ahmed, you keep those, man. Even when we're stuck working together, he's a, he was a big fan. I said, keep them. I don't care. You're, you're not very many people at the time. Nobody was six man besides Dusty with Hawk and I. Ahmed was, and it was a very, when you look at the pay-per-view, the Chicago street fight, it's an imposing figure with Hawk and I and Ahmed standing there. Ahmed was monstrous. And I said, keep him. So he did not steal him. He did not take him. I'm not mad at Ahmed. I gave him the pads. We're going to end this right now because I'm not talking about this again. <laughs> I'll ask you again whenever we go over Joe, the uh, WrestleMania not, 13 bro. episode. I'll find somebody to get you on the well. shoulders on Doomsday and myself. <laughs> <laughs> Bobcat emails in wanting to know who was the easiest tag team to work with, who was the most difficult tag team to work with. Well, I think the easiest tag team to work with is right off the bat, I can tell you, was uh, Minute Express. Piece of cake. 
Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton were freaking phenomenal. I mean, a real close second to them uh, was, you know, Tully Blanchard Anderson, the Four Horsemen. They were really good. Let me see the worst. Oh, the worst, most difficult guys to work with. So that it wasn't, it was only one half of the tag team where the freaking Freebirds were a little stiff. Michael Hayes was the worst punch in wrestling business. Every time he hit you, it freaking hurt because he was punching you. <laughs> so you all, he was always getting receipts because he kept hitting us. So we always hitting him back. Uh, Terry Gordy was a piece of cake. Buddy Roberts was a piece of cake back then, too. Let me see. Who else would have been difficult? Uh, Steiners weren't difficult, but they let you know you were in the ring with them. I was going to say, you hear a lot of stories <laughs> about the Steiners working stiff, but I would imagine that that wouldn't have been an issue with two big guys like you and Oh, Hawk no, no. I remember, I remember Rick Steiner backing me in the corner, wanting the belly to belly out of the corner, and I grabbed onto the top ropes. I told him, I said, don't even think about it. It's exactly what I said to Steiner. He goes, oh, okay, Joe. I mean, the greatest guys in the world. Rick Steiner and Scotty are two great guys, two of my friends in the wrestling business. They, I wouldn't say they were difficult to work with. Um, they were just very, very, you know, they were so 150 miles an hour like we were. Usually our gimmick worked good if, you know, you had a heel team you could chase or something. When you have, like I've always said in this business, man, when you have two babyface teams going against each other, it never really works to the extent of the wrestling company making any good money with it. Uh, talking about the tag teams, uh, this coming from Matt emailing in, asking, how would you and Hawk have booked a feud with Demolition differently than how it was? Well, since they had the third member of Demolition there, when they had Crush when we came in, I would have done something where Hawk and I, well, first of all, I would have kept the belts on Demolition to begin with. I wouldn't have had us screw Demolition with the belts for the Heart Foundation to take the titles like we did when we came in. I would have had Demolition had the titles. I would have had Hawk and I come in there, have them up to do the finish, have Crush came in, screw up the match, where we end up chasing Demolition. We could have went out and got the Warriors and, hey, man, will you be our six-man partner instead of the Warriors? See, back then, they always catered to the single guy. So instead of us, you know, Warrior asking us, we should have went to the Warriors and, hey, man, you're a brother in paint. Let us have you as our six man, and we should be able to ask Warrior like that and put us in the forefront as a tag team. WWE never put the tag teams in the forefront. You know, they made Demolition at the time because Hawk and I basically wouldn't go there. And so then they made Demolition. But when you had a feud and Demolition got over so well in the WWF slash WWE, they could, we could have ran with that for a year, maybe two years. But instead, we beat them like in eight or ten minutes the first match. So where do you go from there? Then they're dead. You know, so, I mean, that's what I would have done differently. I would have had us go in there to go to get the titles and have Crush come in, bam, screw us over, do six mans. Out of the six mans that last for me going around the horn for six months of shows, then you pair off, and then you go into the tag team end of it, and maybe at a big blow-off at a WrestleMania or something, maybe then we end up taking the titles from Demolition. You know what I mean? That kind of a thing. That that would have made the fan happy. Just think of what you could have done. And, Joe, and I look at the big picture and all this stuff when I do it. Not only for the fan and how happy you can make them, but what you could have done in merchandise between demolition and us and cross-promotion and whoever you added into the six-man mix, mix with T-shirts and posters and 
pillowcases, lunch boxes, wrestling buddies, the whole works, action figures. You could have it could have made hundreds of millions of dollars, but instead, they listen. There's always issues behind the scenes, and for whatever reason, demolition had some issue with the office, and bam, they put the clamps on them, and they you know they had us beat them right away. Uh, and uh, Sean kind of follows up on this via Twitter. Asking about your thoughts of demolition uh, being a knockoff, was it a big deal given your relationship with uh, Barry? He also throws in the powers of pain and warlord into that mix as well. No, no. Any one of the guys that painted up after us that had similar looks, listen, when you go back in time and you look and you study the wrestling matches, there is a huge difference between Hawk and I and demolition and a huge difference between Hawk and I and the powers of pain. Very seldom do you have, you know, and I've said this before, man, you got guys like Hulk Hogan and The Rock and Stone Cold. You can't teach charisma and you can't teach chemistry. Hawk and I just had this unwavering chemistry and charisma within each other. And when we did interviews and how we went about our day and our workouts and how about we went to matches and never wanting to, Settle for an okay match. We try to make every match as entertaining as possible. You know, very few, very few times you get two guys that are on the same page. And Hawk and I were. So, you know, we, listen, the powers of pain are my buddies. Uh, both demolition, acts and smash for my friends. And listen, at the end of the day, you want to see your friends do well. So I was glad if, if Barry and Terry made any good money or, you know, Bill and Bard made good money doing this, and God bless them, man. And when you look back at it, too, you mentioned all the guys that uh, that paint their faces. When you go to those conventions and you paint up, it, it really it's like the fountain of youth to all you guys. I mean, any guy that got to paint that painted their face as part of their uh, character back in the day, as yeah. part of their gimmick, now they they look like they found the fountain of youth. And you guys haven't aged one bit when you when you paint up. Well, when you when you when you look at seriously, when you look at like Barb. If I'm standing with there with Barb at a convention or a warlord stuff. You would say, geez, these guys could be a heck of a six-man right now and, and really kind of run the six-man end of that. Because, you know, listen, that's all discipline and wanting to take care of yourself and stay working out throughout time and, and everything else. Listen, you know, you can't do anything about the unforeseen injuries or health issues you have. But, you know, for most of all, you, you know, you, you take pride in your, your profession. You know, and listen, this thing is not – wrestling business today – has it almost kind of got to be the rite of passage business? Just because somebody goes through a wrestling camp, next thing you know, they want they think they should be the world champ or the champ in their community. Whether you're doing a a smaller indie promotion or you're trying to go big time, they think, "Oh, I'm with the wrestling camp today, so I should be champ." No, if you have somebody in there that's holding the title and he doesn't even know the lineage or the wrestling business, why is he even in the business? Because he saw it on TV. You should know the history of what you're getting in. You should know the history of what the guys did to make it possible. Like, I I studied it. I mean, I knew what Johnny Weaver and Vern Gagne and you guys like Wally Carbo and Sharky, all those guys did for me even having the opportunity to go through wrestling camp. And if I were to say one thing negative or say, well, who are you? Are you kidding me? That office would, or the, the locker room would have been on my rear end. Next question. Uh, uh, actually, two people asked the uh, very similar question, so I'll ask this both from uh, from Peter via Facebook and Don via Twitter. 
wanting to know uh, basically during your your runs um, uh, one you know Peter asked during AWA and WCW Don asked during the NWA 30 times in 30 days for Ric Flair was there ever any consideration of putting the world title on you or Hawk no because we were we weren't single title type of guys listen the guy back then the BDNWA champion and I firmly believe this if you look back at all the NWA champs from Harley Race to Ric Flair, you know, you're talking about guys that could wrestle a chair and make that chair look great. You know what I mean? You you got to be able to be the guy, the, the guy, that guy was the most respected guy in the wrestling business. Even over the WWF champion, every time you saw the NWA champ, he was fully dressed in a three-piece suit, looked respectable, respected the business. Bruno San Martino was a great ambassador for wrestling back then. You know, he was a champion for 16 years. You know, that guy was hailed as the man. And when you're that kind of guy, I mean, that's where I think the mystique of the World Heavyweight Championship right now is missing in wrestling. That belt changes hands like underwear right now. They either SmackDown or Raw. People are changing belts too fast. People don't get to get emotionally invested in that guy and learn everything about what the good qualities it takes to be a champion. You know, and, and I think that's a little bit the thing that's missing today. We had, what, five champs, I think, on SmackDown in 2017, I believe, yeah. uh, as I'm trying to go through five or six. It start with AJ and then Cena and then Bray Wyatt, Orton, Jinder Mahal and now AJ Styles back with the belt again, but Brock Lesnar has uh, held the title since or uh, held the title since WrestleMania. Before that, it was Kevin Owens, Goldberg, and then Brock Lesnar. Uh, yeah. And Brock Lesnar's closing in on one year uh, yeah, holding good, the title because right now. Brock is he's believable as a I guy think, that uh, can beat everybody and cannot be beat. So that's what I was going to yeah. ask about. You know, when when they put you and Hawk in singles matches against Flair. How do you make people that are buying the ticket believe that you or Hawk have a chance? Well, because they, people know Hawk and I's gimmick. They know the flair pisses off enough that the title's not going to mean anything to us. We'd rather beat him up than have the title. <laughs> I mean, quite honestly, and that's pretty much what we did. I wrestled, uh, I wrestled Flair, I believe, in Cincinnati, and I think Hawk wrestled him in Philly. And uh, I think I press-slammed Flair on the... Uh, you know, the, the ring was set up on home plate because they're all outdoor shows, right? The Great American Bashes. I pressed Lion Flair on second base and walked back to home plate and got, Flair got counted out. So I won by disqualification, but you can't win the belt that way, right? And Hawk did the same thing. You know, after 20 minutes wrestling with Flair, listen, Flair back then was a machine. I mean, that guy can go, right? And 20 minutes into the match, I'll be telling you, my tongue was dragging. You know, doing a singles match, bumping back and forth and press slamming. Well, Flair takes me out to center field and says, here, press slam me and walk me all the way back to home plate. It's a freaking 150 feet. Ain't no way I'm doing that. I told him, I literally said, screw you. And I threw him down right behind second base and I walked there myself. I mean, that's what, I mean, but that's a... that that's what the world champion does, man. He had that kind of respect back then and he was the man. Lesnar is the closest thing to an old school champ. You know, I think Cena could have been there, but Cena's been the man for so long. Listen, there's a, there was a saying, man, and I went through it with my son James in college football. 
he was a three-time first-team All-American at Ohio State, right? Because he was there his fourth year and wanted to show dedication to Ohio State, it was almost like he was there too long. It was too good too long. And then people start going like this. They nitpick, they nitpick, mm-hmm. they nitpick, they nitpick. He doesn't fall into the second round. Yeah. Cena didn't do anything wrong in this wrestling business for people to boo him ever. <laughs> you know, he's still a great guy, does great things in the community, great with kids, great with everything else. He's just been there so long in that position, mm-hmm. right? And same with uh, when James, when the, you know, it happened to be the year of the draft. You don't know if tight ends and tackles are going to go. He ended up falling in the beginning of the second round. But his tackle numbers were the same they were the two years previous. It's just that in college football, you was there so long, you end up sliding for that fact. So it is what it is, man, you know. But, but I think the world champion is uh, someone that was definitely respected more back then. I, I, I'm a firm believer that especially the world champ should be a guy that holds that belt a little longer. The uh, you, you mentioned the outdoor matches in Cincinnati and in Philadelphia, so it brings me to this from the Goon Show on Twitter. The hottest and coldest matches you've ever worked outdoors. Oh, man. Well, I think the coldest ones we've ever worked outdoors, I think we did an outdoor show in Japan one time up in Hokkaido, which is like you can see Russia from Hokkaido. That's how far up north you are. And uh, we did an outdoor show at some baseball park. They said, oh, it won't be too bad. (sighs) Bro, it's brutal. It's brutal. And also the buildings are, you know, the the old buildings in Japan don't have central heat or air. So they got a little care. They got a big, like, three feet tall kerosene heater that stinks and is putting off fumes inside with no ventilation. And you're all sitting around there because the American boys and Japanese boys are going, freezing our butts so what would it? Have, what would the temperature have been? Oh, I would have said it probably at least 20 degrees in the really? locker room. Oh, yeah. And then we're having to take off our shirts and everything else. And go and put, outside. And put on metal spikes and then go outside to wrestle. Here, this was supposed to be our warming house. It was actually just as cold as it was outside. So what would the hottest have been? Oh, hold it. Phone call coming in. <laughs> That damn Vince McMahon won't stop calling me. No, <laughs> no, um, you know I don't know the ho- <laughs> the hottest one. Probably somewhere in Georgia. You know I don't know, man. We've had so many hot matches. Then again, I've had hot matches outside in Japan too, as well. Did you ever wrestle any of the Vegas? WrestleManias? Were you I, in I, either of those? No, I never wrestled anywhere outdoors in Vegas. I had did wrestle outdoors in Albuquerque one time. That was pretty warm. Um, I take that back. We wrestled a very, very warm, about 115-degree weather in uh, Kuwait. Okay. I went over to Kuwait. I think we, Hawk and I, wrestled uh, The Rock and Kane. But Kane wasn't Kane back then. It was Rocky Maivia and, uh, gosh, what was he, Big Daddy, Big Daddy Cooler? He was something? fake Diesel. Yeah, he was, yeah, he yeah. was Diesel. Yeah, mm-hmm. back then. That's, we wrestled them over in Kuwait. Did Kuwait, Bahrain, that little run. What would you rather wrestle in, extreme heat or extreme cold? I suppose the colder weather. I would think, I would think just being the mat getting really, really hot just – 
would not feel good when you take well, a the bump. Thing, the thing with Kuwait was bad. Was I remember walking across the park a lot of the hotel, and each time you took a step, you could see your foot imprint in the blacktop. Mm-hmm. Because the, t- the temperature outside was like 125 degrees, and you figured the blacktop, you might as well add another 20 degrees onto that. Jeez. Uh, this one comes from Don on Twitter. If you or Hawk wrestled as a single, did you guys still get paid as a tag team? No. So the payday was different if you guys went out there and just wrestled on your own? Yeah, the payday would have been different. And depending on, depending on the size of your house, of the house, like in the NWA, depending on well, we were under guaranteed contracts, so it really didn't matter back then. But before the guaranteed contracts came into play, it depended on the size of the house. Mm-hmm. So if you were the main event on the house that you did three hundred thousand dollars in a house for a gate, you're going to get a certain percentage wrestling flair. The the champ's always going to get the bigger percentage, no matter what. Doesn't matter. That that was one of the reasons back then when you heard about, remember there used to be a guy called Nails? When Nails was wrestling Big Boss Man? And uh, he ended up choking out Vince in the locker room one day because Boss Man got a 10 grand payoff more than Nails did and they were in the same match. That kind of stuff really, really ticks off the boys when that happens. I'll tell you that right now. What, uh, that was, when was that? that I've, I remember hearing that story before. That had to be in the late 90s, I want to say. I want to say it sound right. That would have been, I guess it would have been in 93. He was wrestling in 92. So that would have been, yeah, back in, or no, December of 92. Because when whatever pay-per-view was around there, Nails and Boss Man were one of the main events. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that would have been in December of 92 when he attacked Vince McMahon in his office. So that would have been, yeah, the, uh, the reports say that John Nords watched the door while, uh, while Nails went in there to try to get his money. Well, I'm sure he probably did. And who's going to get past Nord? Nord was, at the time, 6'6", 310 pounds. Nobody's going to get past Nord. That was also, uh, Nails also accused Vince McMahon of sexually assaulting him during the, uh, the fight. And well, you know... <laughs> Just, just to throw that out there, if you yeah, uh, if you never well, heard that part of the story either, that you know, uh, I, I he accused it, Vince McMahon of uh, touching him while he uh, while that happened, <clears throat> and thus tried to get money out of him for uh, sexual assault as well. Well, so, I don't know, man. I doubt that Vince McMahon would have the, the guts even to try to touch someone like Nails. Have you ever saw Nails personally up front? Kevin looks like a guy that you just don't even want to talk to much, less try to sexually assault. Okay. <laughs> I'll just leave it. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, we just heard your phone go off. That was Metallica. Uh, but uh, Dog tweets in and wants to know whose idea it was to use Iron Man for your entrance music. Actually, uh, Hawk and I were driving down the road with uh, Paul Ellering in the car, and as usual, Hawk was a music buff. And anybody didn't know that about Hawk, any music or any kind of movie. Hawk knew everything there was about movies, who was a star actor, and, and, and with music, too, as well, right? So all of a sudden, the drumbeat of Iron Man came on, and I looked over at Hawk, and he looked over at me, and I said, we got to use this for the music. And no, you got to understand, nobody was really using music back then. We tried it out when we went down to Memphis, because... The Memphis Territory, because Jimmy Hart was the music guy down there, and I'll say this right now, man, Jimmy Hart and Jerry Lawler and um, 
Jerry Jarrett were so far ahead of their time when it came to that end of the wrestling business as far as musically putting things together. They, we would go down there and they would have strobe lights going off and Hawk and I would come in the ring. We'd look at a couple of gargoyles in the ring running around like two big muscle-up guys with the black lights flashing all over the place. It was really cool looking when you still look back on tape. But they were so far, yeah. So we started using Iron Man, and uh, that it just ended up fitting for us. And then, of course, we were the first ones to take any music over to Japan at all. Usually the Americans even went to some Japanese, you know, generic music. But then also we came over at Iron Man, and the Japanese started learning that because they watched, like I said, like a year of video on that music. So then by the time we got to our first event in, in Tokyo and you start hearing the people are nuts. It's, it's such a great song. So iconic. Don wants to know any interesting stories about Bruiser Brody. Yeah, I got kind of an interesting story about Brody. You know, Hawk and I actually wrestled Brody, I think, one time. So picture yeah, this. Tell it. Well, picture this. Oh. No, not the wrestling story, but I'm going to tell you another story. Okay. <coughs> I don't even know if I told you this. Here we are now. We're in Tokyo, Japan. We're in Kirken Hall. We were just talking about Kirken Hall earlier because mm-hmm. Big Japan and All Japan or New Japan just did the event there this last or yesterday or the day before in Kirken Hall. An iconic place. I'll never forget that place because that's where Terry and Dory Funk kind of did the passing of the torch to Hawk and I. They were the most over-tag team, and Hawk and I came in there, and we pretty much mauled them, and, you know, they were great guys for doing what they did. So here we are in Kirkland Hall. We are wrestling, I think it was uh, Ricky Choshu and Jumbo Tsuruta, okay? Now we're wrestling, and now Jumbo, Ricky Choshu was an Olympic wrestler in 1968 for Japan, and Jumbo Tsuruta was on the basketball team for the Olympics. Here are two Olympic athletes. And here Hawk and I are two street kids. <laughs> really, if you look talent-wise, I have no really reason to be in the ring with these guys, but we were so over as American wrestlers that the people were buying it. So, Russell Jumbo, every time I did something with Jumbo, Jumbo would do it flawlessly. If it was a press slam spot and he was going to hit me with the knee, he's going to hit me with the knee across my chest and not hit me in the teeth. You know, bam, he goes and do, would do the same spot with Hawk. Jumbo would screw the spot up, fall down, hit Hawk in the knee where Hawk's got a bloody lip, and just this went on for the whole week. So finally, here we are at the culmination of our tour. It was a one-week tour, the first one. Brody's in the the locker room with us, and we go in the ring, and Jumbo screws it up with Hawk. I said, oh, no, this is not going to be good because Hawk is about ready to blow his cool. So, bam, the match goes the way it was. I thought... Jumbo screwed a spot. Hawk flies off the handle. He literally sprints after a 20-minute match back to the locker room, kicks open the Japanese locker room door, smashes the glass. In Japan, that's taboo. You don't destroy anything in Japan because it'll blacklist you from coming back over. The only thing to say this is that we were so over at the time, they had to use us because nobody else was coming over that could sell out buildings the way we were doing it, right? Looks at Jumbo Saruda and told him, and can I repeat his exact words, but he said, hey, listen here, you, you noodle sucking, you know, whatever. I know you understand English. You take seven years of English as a kid. I know you understand what I'm talking about. And boom. So he's hot, throwing things and everything else. 
So Brody, to break up the monotony of what's going on, says, hey, while you guys were over there fighting in the other locker room, I found myself another road warrior. And he turns around and he painted the head of his penis and says, look, I got the third road warrior right here. <laughs> that was the first time we ever associated ourselves with Brody. Now, you got to understand, Brody was 6'6", 300 pounds, wild hair, teeth missing, blah, blah, voice, you know, like like Tasmanian devil type voice. And he turns around, stands there with his drawers down, has got his dick all painted up in black, red, and white <laughs> like it was a road warrior. And we all start cracking up, and that kind of broke the monotony. But that was Frank Goodich, man. That was the That's the way he was. He was a good guy. And from that point on, actually, we were pretty good friends with Brody. I mean... You know, I, I'm actually good. I'm actually friends with his uh, with his wife now today on Facebook. But she, oh. it's it's a real, really was sad, man. When Brody uh, had gotten killed down in Puerto Rico, Hawk and I actually boycotted Puerto Rico for years. We wouldn't go down there. Oh, I I, I wasn't expecting a Bruiser Brody penis story. You like that, uh, right? There. Yeah, I but wasn't uh, wasn't expected. And to go people call him a prick all the time. I don't know what they were talking about. Oh, my. Oh, um, Bobcat emails in wanting to know. I, You see, I, I didn't even think of the transition before I went here. But uh, <laughs> I, they, he wants to know um, the reason for Sonny being uh, given to uh, you, you talk about people showing their uh, showing their stuff off. Um, why did Vince put Sonny with LOD back in the 90s? You know, I don't know, man. I don't. You know, back then, I think it was a situation where. A, they really didn't know what to do with her. And you got to understand, back there in the 90s, you know, I think they took turns whether... With Sonny? She was... No, not with Sonny. You can't say that. (laughs) But I don't know if Sonny had gotten suspended before because of her situation. I know Hawk was getting suspended left and right because of his, let's just say, extracurricular activities, right? And um, so when we came back with the LOD 2000... It was a different look, and they wanted to make an impact. Listen, WWF at the time was trying many ways to soften up Hawk and I. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, at the time, you got to understand, we went first 12 years of wrestling business pretty much killing everybody. So they were trying to say, okay, how can we make these guys soften them up so people could really feel sympathy for these guys? You know, that's why they came up with that stupid Rocco story. Right, stupid ventriloquist dummy, which I wanted to break the freaking dummy's neck when it came out, and the dummy who thought of it, and then you know, and then so they then they came with Sonny. We didn't even know Sonny was going to be with us until we got to the building, and then all of a sudden she's got this red, black, and silver outfit that she made that barely covered her anywhere, you know. And we said okay, but then you know, it's so we tried it, but man, if for whatever reason. Well, I know the reason now, but, you know, I you know, I got to respect the privacy of some people. But there was a situation we got in the ring in Madison Square Garden where I told her, I said, man, don't come near me with the spikes because I come running around the ring and moving around and barely sliced her cheek. And and uh, Vince got wind of it, and it just didn't work out. The um, the first War Games, Don tweets in wanting to know, when exactly did you know that J.J. was hurt? After the uh, after you guys put him up on your shoulders, I knew JJ was going to get hurt when I picked him up. 
because when you look back and you watch the match back, I picked JJ up and I wasn't ready for Hawk to come off the way he did. Hawk was so excited because he was the last guy to come into the match. You got to understand, Hawk sat outside like a caged animal for 25 minutes waiting to come in there to smash some human flesh. And by the time he came in, he I think he came in in that match and he knocked out Luger, he knocked out Tully, he knocked out Arn with clotheslines in a row and hurt Flair. And then came, then we got the JJ. I got JJ up. Now, I couldn't get JJ up on my shoulders because you got to understand that, that cage was only two and a half feet above me. And so when I got JJ up on my shoulders, he was already, he had to duck down there's no room for Hawk to climb the top rope to come dive off for a clothesline. I didn't think Hawk was going to do that. I thought Hawk was just going to come off with something off the second rope and, you know, we kind of do like a bulldog, reverse bulldog type clothesline off my shoulders, right? Certainly wasn't, wasn't going to give him the flip because there's no room for him to flip. And so JJ, seeing that, Hawk came off quick and I had a quick kick because I saw Hawk coming. I had a quick kick back and JJ went to reach back. And then I knew that shoulder was gone. I knew. I said, oh, crap. And, you know, man, if there's one guy in a wrestling business, listen, you don't like to hurt anybody. But the last guy, I think that's the only guy we really ever hurt. The last guy you want to hurt is J.J. I mean, J.J. is a great pioneer of the wrestling business, a great guy, just a great good guy all around, you know. And that was over 30 years ago. And when he came up to us in North Carolina, he was showing your wife. Uh, he was still – he was showing her on his shoulder where the damage is still there today, 30 well, years later. And he never had ceases to amaze me how he always has to rub it in that, oh, the road warriors hurt me. So that wasn't the first time he came up to your wife and uh, showed her, no? No, the first time he showed her, but I, he, like I'm saying, I, I don't know how many times I apologize. I've actually, you know, you should see me like a couple years ago. I actually got on my hands and knees and said, I'm sorry. You know, because, I mean, the, he always rubs it in, and he knows he rubs it in because he knows that we were total professionals that never did hurt anybody. We can make it look like we're kicking the dog crap out of you and not really hurt you we may be a little stiff but we wouldn't hurt you and when we hurt jj man we, we felt so horrible after the match man if you if i could send you back in time joe to see how bad we felt when we did it that's why he thought does it just as a joke and a rib uh because now you know this many years later he'll go like this look at my shoulder and it'll pop up you know like, oh god what are you gonna do and finally, from Russ on Twitter, I know you mentioned it a little bit to start the show, but just he, he wants you to talk about the uh, the Zubaz company. How did it come to be? How did you and Hawk end up owning a uh, uh, owning Zubaz? Being in the position we were, we got to go uh, wrestle in all different cities around the USA and in different countries, right? So when we go out to Los Angeles, it was always – where do you want to go train? Well, we're going to go train down at the original Gold's Gym. You know, we're guy, uh, Pete Kronkowski and Mike Menser were part owners of it. We wanted to go train at Gold's Gym. So we all would go to Gold's, and Gold's was great, and they would give us a bag, a Gold's Gym bag, and free tank tops, free shorts, free sweatpants. So all of a sudden, they give me a pair of these sweatpants, and I go, oh, these are pretty cool. So I throw these on, and they're made by Mike Christian. This be a bodybuilder called Mike Christian. He had a line of clothes called Mike Christian Everywhere. And they were real loose-fitting clothes. And I, I got these clothes. I got these feel pretty good. 
So I had two of my guys that worked at the gym with us, my, my Twin Cities gym in Rosedale, Minnesota. It's right in St. Paul there. And I said, hey, uh, two of my top sellers, uh, Dan Stock and, and Bob Truax, I said, what do you think about these pants, man? Can we do anything here? Do you think we could do something? I was, yeah, yeah, let me, let me see what they can do. So we, we had formed the company, and uh, they did some research on it. Now, we, we, you know, to go find out later on, every pair of sweatpants or something has has their own independent stitch, their own identification mark in that industry where you can say, hey, this is a knockoff, this is really our product, and they're trying to knock us off, right? So we went through all the patent stuff, and those guys came back, and they said, hey, we, here's, here's some of the samples you got. Because they had approached me, Hawk and I, too, about, hey, we're thinking about doing a clothing company, T-shirts and all that. And we go, eh, we don't know. But at the time, you know, I had my friend that I played college football with, Dan Johnson, who played for the Dolphins. So things were lining up for us to go into the Zubaz route, right, and to make things in the NFL teams there. And so they came to us, and they made us samples of the clothes, and then we started getting material. I think it was like Hall River, North Carolina, is where we were getting our textiles from, our, our material. And um, thus was the birth of Zubaz. That's how it all started. I brought a pair of pants back from L.A., said, hey, what can we do with this? And my partners, Dan and Bob, we got together, and they were two of my top sales guys, and they were, they were doing really good in my gym memberships. They were my sales guys in my first membership, my first gym, which did so well. We opened up a second one. That was doing well. We even did a third location. But then by then, we already started Zubaz, and we had to go off and just do Zubaz by ourselves. We made Forbes a couple of times with Zubaz. I mean, it did really well, you know. There you have it. Uh, about an hour's worth of Q&A for Road Warrior Animal, uh, covering all different eras and all different kinds of topics there. Send with, in uh, your questions, you. man. There is nothing that is untouchable in our conversation you can uh you can continue to tweet your questions at joe roderick at what a rush pod on twitter or you could uh text animal and he might voice text you back via twitter no nah, i won't uh, voice text people i'll be able to decipher it <laughs> or you could uh, find us on facebook too it is the what a rush podcast with road warrior animal joe laurinitis or you could just send us an email at road warrior podcast at gmail Com. And they should send in, Joe, they should send in what topics they want us to cover and who they want us to talk to. Absolutely. Because nobody is unreachable in the wrestling business, fortunately for us, and uh, whatever kind of situation or topic they want, man, we're happy to attack it. Unless you are Sid Justice and you can't fly anywhere in the U.S. because Bro, of the travel ban. Can you believe uh, that Sid did that? <laughs> when I heard that Sid... Listen, I <laughs> I remember when Sid was going to wrestle the Ultimate Warrior for the World Championship in Boston. He didn't do it, and he said, "You know what? I'm going back. I'm going back to well, Arkansas. I think he lives or something. I'm going to go back and play softball." <laughs> I said, "What? Well, I hope you're making 250 grand a year playing softball, bro, because you're about ready to lose this income." Come and he goes, ah, "I don't care. I'm going to go play softball." So that's what he did to play softball. And now he's saying he can't fly. He couldn't make an event because of Donald Trump's 
flight yeah. restrictions or something. Yeah. We will uh, <laughs> we will talk a lot about that's Sid. Hilarious. We will talk a lot about Sid next week. That's for sure because next week's episode is all about the WCW Sin pay per view from 2001. Uh, Joe, you need to go watch it and see everything that you missed 17 years ago when it uh, when it happened. We will also this month talk uh, in correlation with the 25th anniversary of Raw. We will talk about the Legion of Doom in Road Warrior Animal on Monday Night Raw and some of the memories from those days. And we will also talk Royal Rumble later this month as well. So there are are your plans for the month of January. We have it all lined up. But yeah, you uh, you send us in your topics. As I said, in February, we are going to uh, we'll go back into the 80s a bit and talk about some of the uh, early days of the Road Warriors. Uh, we will definitely do that coming up in the uh, in the 80s for sure. So a lot to uh, a lot to get to from all different eras of Bro, the world I don't of know. wrestling. With, with Trump's flight restrictions, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it to the next show. We'll, uh, we'll we'll make that happen. We'll drive you if we need to and see. Hopefully <laughs> hopefully you can cross uh, state lines. I don't know if maybe they'll set up customs or something at the uh, state lines now Man. with uh, all the travel yeah, that's, bans. That's funny. That's we'll, funny. It'll have to be sanctuary customs from now on or something. So that, uh, that's going to do it for us here on this episode of the Water Rush podcast. Joe, take us home. Yeah, man, I'd like to thank everybody, Joe. Hey, thank you for the hour, bro. I'd like to thank everybody for writing in the questions and for tuning in to the Oh, What A Rush podcast. It's been a great hour, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.